Welcome to Menopause Reimagined. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky. I'm a nutritionist for more than 18 years, and I'm in menopause. I'm a menopause educator, menopause researcher, and I'm the co-founder of WeAreMorphous.com, a company that helps to empower you to take control of your health and symptoms with nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, and research. Today, I'm speaking with Jennifer Spring. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Connecticut. With over 25 years of experience, she uses a holistic approach in her treatment by advocating for proper nutrition, exercise, sleep, supplementation, and hormone therapy for women in perimenopause and menopause. She educates her patients on how the mind and body are interrelated and without focusing on both, you will not reach your full potential. She recently launched a YouTube channel at Jennifer Spring. And she's been featured in a local magazine called Mystic Neighbors. Jennifer is a fur mom and the proud mom of a college-age daughter. Now, here's Jennifer. Welcome to Menopause Reimagined, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm such an, such an honor to be here with you. Well, I'm happy to have you. And I'm so happy, again, you reached out. And I love what you do and the fact that you are a therapist and you come from a holistic point of view, which is right up my alley. Yes, and it is. we're going to talk about you know, obviously when it comes to mental health. And I wanted to just bring us in with some stats. So according to the research that we've done at Morphis, so for those of you who have filled out our signs and symptoms survey, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you haven't, mm -hmm. please do. We have, a, we have a link below for you. So now we know that out of the top 10 most common symptoms of perimenopause and menopause, five of them are physical, five, five of them are mental, emotional related and cognitive related which that was really surprising for me. And I guess you're probably like, nope, that's not surprising for me based on the, you know, the, the patients that I see, but that was surprising to me. So it's a 50-50 split. So tell me a little bit about what you're hearing from your patients as you're working with women who are in this phase of life. I'm hearing women are struggling. It's a really, you know, as you know, it's a really hard time already for women at this stage of life. You know, we're dealing with we're the sandwich generation. So we're dealing with our children that are perhaps still home or getting ready to go to college. And then we're dealing with our parents who are aging and failing perhaps. And so we're not done caregiving and now we're getting it from both sides. So it's, it's a lot of work. We perhaps have husbands who are getting ready or are retiring. So we have our children, we have our parents, and now we have our husbands which is a major transition to be, you know, um, to have them home and for us to have to take care of them or, or just a change of schedule and, and everything. So there's that. And then women don't feel well physically. So as you know, the top 10 symptoms and there's over what 103 now. So there's so much going on physically for women. They don't feel well. And then emotionally, you know, then it all stacked because you're not sleeping and because we're not liking the way that we look and we're gaining weight and our hair is falling out and we're scratching our skin during a sleep and we're not sleeping and we're just, we can't remember anything. We think we have early dementia and it's just, mm. it's very overwhelming. And then mentally people, women are depressed and anxious and that that is generally what people are coming through the door with. They don't know necessarily understand why. They just know that they don't feel well mentally. And mm -hmm. so then that, you know, and then, you know, because they're not feeling well physically, it makes it worse. You know, so you're a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I am. We, 
we're now going to explore through our research, you know, relationships and libido for women who are in this phase of okay. life. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me, and I'd love to hear from you, is how are relationships for women changing as they're going into perimenopause and menopause? What are you seeing from your patients? Well, I think, you know, if you're not your best self individually, you can't be your best self in any relationship, whether it's with your children or it's with your spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, with your family, friends. So, yeah, it's definitely affected. And I do a lot of couples counseling, too at this phase of life, not necessarily because they're on the brink of, you know, of divorce, but just because they're not connecting, libido issues, sex is falling, you know, off, and they're just not communicating well. He certainly doesn't understand her. She doesn't understand herself, right? I mean, Mm. women's health, most people don't understand. Men are, you know, men don't understand women's health, but most women don't understand women's health. And so that's why I'm so glad we're all doing what we're doing because there's so much research and there's so much information that's coming out to finally help us understand what is happening to us and what we can do to feel better. So relationships, of course, are going to be affected. I see this in the, in the mother, you know, child dynamic as well. And so I'm doing family counseling with a, with a parent and their kids because she doesn't feel well. She's going through all the things that I just mentioned earlier in the podcast. And so she's not communicating well. She's not listening. She's not tolerant. She's not patient. She doesn't feel good. So of course, relationships are always affected. It's the whole system all the time is how I see things. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, yep. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, so <laughs> when I was going through perimenopause, I mean, this was years ago. I remember at the same time I was going through some business we'll call it business trauma. (laughs) And I I didn't know at the time that I was in perimenopause. And I just remember I, and if you ask my son, he's now 20, I was, Mm -hmm. I I was awful. Like I was Mm -hmm. rageful. I had no patience. Mm -hmm. I was constantly screaming and yelling and looking back now and knowing what I, you know, doing what I do and knowing what I know now, I'm like, wow. Uh Okay. So I was going through this very traumatic time in my life and I was in Mm -hmm. perimenopause, but I didn't know. And that's yep. what you're saying. It's like, we don't know yes. what's happening to ourselves for many of us. And that's why I, right. you know, you doing what you do and I doing what I'm doing. I'm so passionate about having you know, helping women understand what's going on with their body because understanding and knowing, oh, okay. So it's not me that I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going crazy? What's happening to me? I don't know myself mm-hmm. anymore. It's all those unknowns. It just makes it so much worse when we're going through right. it because we blame ourselves. We become, yep. you know, it's like, wait, it's my fault. I'm doing this, right? So it's yeah. it's an interesting point and you're you're bang on when you're like, we don't know what's happening. Right, right. And you're exactly right. Women think they're going crazy. And I can't tell you how often I have to tell women, you are not crazy and you're not going crazy. This is menopause, perimenopause. Let's talk about that. And let's focus less on, you know, how bad you feel about yourself and all this shame and blame that's happening with women at this phase of life. I I love, again, what you're doing and this whole tribe of women that are out there doing this. And in my little, small, little piece of the, the universe that I'm trying to help women is that empowering is so important, right? All the time. It, empowerment just in itself can make people feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. So to help people understand that this isn't about craziness and you do not need to be admitted to a hospital or taken, you know, away from your children or your families. You just need to understand what's going on, learn the information, learn the research, 
and get out there and do the things that we know now works for us to feel better physically and emotionally. So when you're, when you're working with couples, do you work with them one-on-one as well? Like, for example, will you work on with just the woman and just the man or the kids or, or is it always in a couple's situation? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Cindy Bigelow of Bigelow Tea, and I'm here to introduce you to our newest line called Bigelow Benefits. I love them all. We have stress-free, and I say, who doesn't want to be stress-free? Stay well, perfect for this time of year. Calm stomach, sleep, another important one, and our newest, throat defense. So try any one of them. You can buy them on Amazon or BigelowTea.com. I guarantee you, you will love them all. not always in the context of a group. I I do like to separate and and pull people apart to, it's very obvious and apparent to me what's going on individually with every person in that room, because that's just what I do. And so again, like I said earlier, if you're not your best self individually, how can you be your best self in this relationship of whatever the relationship is? So I do like to pull people apart and kind of dissect what they're going through and get them to a better place individually so that they can just be better for the overall unit. Mm. Yeah. You know, communication is so important. And once we know what's happening, or even if we don't communicating with our partners, our kids, or, you know, whatever it is saying, like, I'm kind mm-hmm. of, this is how I'm feeling, or perhaps this is because I'm going through perimenopause and menopause and not using things as an excuse. You know, my mom is a licensed therapist for more than oh. 33 years now. So she's a master of social work. So my mom does a lot of TikToks with me and I run a lot of things by her because for me, you know, understanding, you know, when you're in a relationship dynamic, having that communication is really important as well. And it's trying to explain what you're going through or taking responsibility for your action. And I'm curious from, you know, from what you see when you're working with partners, you know, okay. do you find that you were saying earlier that, you know, the husband doesn't really know what's going on. The woman doesn't really know what's going on. How do you help the partner in that situation to understand what their what their wife is going through? Well, again, it's about empowering them, too, with with knowledge and information. I mean, it's, you know, it's just to help them as I am with the woman, because most of the time the woman doesn't know either. So we're talking about what's happening in the brain, what's happening with mood, what's, where are they, you know, deficient and, and supplements and vitamins. And, and there's, I mean, there's so much to talk about. And so, you know, to educate the male too, or the partner of this woman, and sometimes even the kids, I mean, the kids don't really necessarily care. (laughs) They just want mom to like (laughs) stop yelling and like, and be more patient. But really, it's just about it's just about educating and coaching all the time. So do you provide them with like, you know, examples of how to communicate with their partner or so giving them scripts or providing them with like, okay, so situations of like, here's what I recommend. Yeah. And there's a lot to talk about with couples, too. I mean, we all come to a relationship with a history, right? So. Um, we talk about attachment theory, which is really, really important when it comes to communicating and understanding why you do the things that you do. We talk about love languages, which is really important in communicating and understand why we do the things that we do. It's not only about perimenopause and menopause, but there's so many other things 
that can help, you know, fair fighting. I just had a long session yesterday with somebody with a couple that needed to understand and go through rules in terms of how to communicate effectively when you're mad at each other, you know, when you're yelling and screaming, nobody's going to listen to you because everybody just, you know, the, the partner, whether it's a child or a partner is going to dig in the heels at that point and turn off all ears and listening and just get very defensive. Well, that that's not conducive for very good communication. It's then that, you know, we teach our children to go take a timeout. Well, the timeout isn't supposed to be to punish the child. It's supposed to be to teach that child some some self-soothing strategies to calm down. So adrenaline calms down, heart rate calms down, um, you know, the brain calms down, you know, um, muscles that are engaged and ready to fight, flight, or freeze. We want to calm all that down so that somebody is more inclined to then listen. So there's so many things to talk about with couples and I love doing couple work. Actually, it's fun. Well, that, then that's exactly what I would, I love to hear that there's different strategies that you're working yeah. with and that, that, that I find fascinating and the love language yeah. I love too. Like I, <laughs> I, I, there's that book, the, the, I forget that what's the name of the book, the love language the book, like the series Five languages of love. Yeah. Thank you. And I love it. And I know exactly what my love language is, but I love, As you, you know, should. <laughs> and, and it's really important because I do believe that that says, and again, I know there's lots of different things that play a role, but I love that. Whole, can you talk a little bit about that for those who haven't heard about love languages, oh, sure. what that is and how that affects relationships? Yeah, sure. So there is a theory that um, like the the verbal language that we speak, we come to the table with a certain love language, which means it's it's how you give and perceive love. And there's five different languages words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, um, uh, acts of service, and gift giving. So for whatever reason, we are inclined to speak one of those languages more predominantly than the others. We speak all of them, but usually there's one that we just um, suits us the best. So if I'm speaking a certain language and let's say it's words of affirmation and you are speaking physical touch and for you, your physical touch is at the top and to me it's at the bottom, we're not going to be speaking the same language. So it's going to be like literally somebody speaking English and somebody speaking Spanish where we're just, we might get some of it through nonverbal communication, which is 83% of how we communicate with somebody but we're not, we're not going to get it all. We're going to miss. We're not going to be speaking the same language. And I love this theory because I, I think it's accurate. And I love teaching and educating and coaching couples on this theory because they never even knew this existed, but it explains a lot. So if I'm only focused on giving you words of affirmation, but for you, words of affirmation aren't very meaningful. They don't weigh heavy. It's not how they are perceiving that you love me. I'm waiting for you to touch me because that's my language that I speak. And so, and then I'm touching you, which isn't all that valuable to you at that time of life for whatever reason. So you find it annoying that I'm touching you, but this <laughs> is how I communicate. This is how I express my love. And it's how I expect you to give me love. And, and so they miss each other and they don't understand. And then, you know, I hear this a lot. Well, why don't you just touch me more? Why don't you just say nice things to me more? Why don't you give me those words of affirmation? And the other person is like, because I don't think to do that. That is not, that's, yeah. I don't know how to do that. Or I don't, 
I don't, that's not my first go-to. And so when I explain to people that it's not because your partner is just, you know, insensitive or doesn't care about you, it truly is because that is not their main language of expressing or receiving love. So the homework then becomes to understand, and I recommend they go take quizzes, which are online, and they get this beautiful printout of what the percentages are that, you know, of the language that they speak, so that they know what the other one needs to hear. And their homework becomes, the challenge becomes, learn to speak more of the language that your partner speaks, so that she or he feels your love, because there's there's love there, it's just not a good communication style that they've adapted over time. So this is a really fun topic that I love doing with couples. Yeah, I'm going to put a link to the book below, The Five Languages okay. of Love. I, I almost wonder if our, can, can our love languages change as we get older? I mean, not necessarily, I mean, we need to work at it. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're ingrained to speak a certain language, just like, you know, we're ingrained, our personalities and certain other things. They're just, we come to the table what we come to the table. Now, now the, you can, once you know what you know, you don't know what you don't know, but mm-hmm. once you know, hopefully you can do better, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's always, you know, my goal is to help people just know more and understand why things are happening that the way that they're happening so that they can make a decision to... Mm-hmm. to make a conscious effort to speak your partner's language more than you already have. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing for awareness, you know, and like you said, you know, maybe you don't want, maybe it becomes annoying. Like, why is he always touching me? Or like things become <laughs> more heightened for us, right. As we go into this phase of life and I'm like, or as we're getting older and you're like, right. wait, it's even, and it's pushing you even farther apart because. Exactly. It is. Yeah. 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 And in this phase of life, women don't feel good about their bodies and their, themselves already. So when your partner is speaking, you know, the physical tough touch love language, it can become problematic. I want to go back to what you mentioned before attachment theory. Can you explain what sure. that is? Okay. So attachment theory is a theory that we come to the table Um, we are affected by the way our parents parent us. Okay. So within your first couple of years of life, depending on the the bond that your, your guardian, so it's not necessarily parents all the time, but let's just call it parents for the sake of this, depending on how they bonded with you and attached with you, that will determine later in life, how you then attach and bond in your in your romantic relationships. So there's four attachment theories, one one being secure and three others being insecure attachments. So if you have a secure attachment to your to your parents, it's going to look like a parent is going to be emotionally and physically available to you as a child. You cry, they attend to you. You're hungry, they feed you. There's consistent um you know consistent attention and love and you know if you need it it's going to happen they're um they're there for you they're supportive it's okay if you're upset they don't reprimand you for that they're just it's a very supportive loving consistent environment three other attachment styles are are insecure so we have an anxious attachment where a, a, a parent will give you love and security and, and um, you know, an emotional bond, but it's inconsistent at this point. Perhaps they're busy, they're working, they're going through something in their relationships, they're in perimenopause maybe, and not being their best. Um, and so it's inconsistent attention and love 
Um, and so a child is left a little bit confused. They know they get it. Sometimes they, they love it when they get it, but they don't always get it. Perhaps it's a daycare baby. And so when they're home with their parents, they're very attentive and it's very loving and very wonderful. But half of the time they're with a, a different caregiver who might be a little bit more cold. So that adult, and I'm really simplifying this, um, but that adult then grows up to have an anxious attachment, which means they're they're anxious they're they're they get worried when they don't have constant support or attention from from their partner so if there's not a, a call back if they text their partner and there's not an immediate reply they they get anxious and very worried because subconsciously they have this bond where they just don't want to let that person go. They're, they're afraid of rejection or not being liked or, or abandonment. And so they hold on. It's like they're holding on for dear life when that person on the other end is just busy. They're, they're, it didn't mean anything, but they, you know, in their mind, they make it out to be something that it's not. And then we have an avoidant personality where a parent is even more inconsistent than the anxious attachment. And this parent, again, can be very loving and, and very attentive. But this parent, again, for whatever reason, could be perimenopause. It could just be they have other things going on, but they tend to push the child away and and kind of promote more independence with that child. So get your own food, attend to your sister, put yourself to bed. You know, they're, they're, it's kind of a more cold environment. And so that person, and again, I'm really simplifying, grows up to have this kind of avoidant attachment where they don't want to be relied on. They won't, they don't like to rely on anybody else for their emotional or physical needs. They like their space. They want, they kind of keep people at an arm's distance um, and so obviously, and oftentimes anxious attachment join with avoidant attachment. So now we have, not only do we have a love language issue, but we have a completely different way that two people are in a relationship that are attaching to each other. One is very needy and one is very independent and doesn't like to be relied on. Doesn't, is certainly not needy themselves, but also doesn't like the fact that their spouse is needy. So, and then the last attachment is called a disorganized attachment, where this is a very small percentage of people, but in their household when they were young, it was a very, very chaotic environment. Perhaps their parents struggled with mental illness, with a personality disorder, with an addiction. And so sometimes they were there, sometimes they're on their medicine and they're wonderful, or they're in, you know, they're not drinking that day, that week, that month. And so they're attentive, but a lot of the time, there's chaos and they're, they're not getting their needs met. It's very confusing. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, they're pushed away. It's a kind of a combination of an anxious parent with an avoidant parent all the time. And it's just very confusing. And so these people and these folks tend to grow up struggling themselves in relationships because they do the same thing with a push pull and they have their, you know, the stats on them are the, the least good in terms of being in a successful relationship. But my job becomes, and again, it's, these are all things that are in my mind all the time. You know, what are, what are the love languages? What are the attachment styles? Where are they in the phase of life? What's going on hormonally? You know, because I'm holistic, I'm thinking, 
do they you know what do they exercise what is what is what's their sleep like what, how well do they eat are they properly being supplemented with vitamins and minerals and all these things that i know a person needs to be their best self so my head is always spinning especially when i meet new people because there's so much to do and there's so much work and there's so much coaching and there's so much educating that needs to happen and yeah. so again super fun and I do want to go into um into everything you just mentioned. That's where I want sure. to go next. But I also want to confirm what you were saying. Like in terms of just reiterate what you were saying is that you're oversimplifying it, of course. So like, yeah. and here's the thing, you know, when we're talking about these different strategies or these different ways of, you know, how you're looking at your your patients, it's and there's no judgment. Like I you're you're not right. judging anybody. You're not like, yeah, nobody feels like so. Right. I just want to be clear that this is oversimplification. And of course when you're working with your therapist, that's where, you know, you can determine what is best for you and then how to best work mm -hmm. with you and your, and your history and, and your past. So um, right. I'm happy that you said that because as you're, as you're listing them, you know, one of the things that I was thinking too, and I'm like, well, wait, I sent, you know, one of my kids to daycare and I'm like, wait, is that what they have? <laughs> like that, that's what's going through my mind. I'm like, wait, does that happen? Like, so it's, um, it's an interesting thing to know that everybody everybody kind of does what they do and there's never any blame and there's never any judgment right. and, and we all do the best yeah. that we can do. I really do. We do. We yeah. We don't know what we don't know. And, and, and I do like to explain to couples and, and individuals when I'm talking about attachment therapy, because they do exactly what you just said. Like, Oh my goodness, I send my child to daycare. Am I, am I messing them up? You know, that we are who we are you know, and we can't change the way our parents parented us. But sometimes when we know, and here is the empowerment issue, when we know what we know, we can do different. And so some of my parents who I'm explaining, you know, because in, we're in the context of talking about the relationship, they now know about attachment and, and how important it is to be the most, to provide your own children now. This is where we can change, you know, how, how, how we do things and our kids can be better than we are. <laughs> but you can pay close attention to this with your own children, which I love too, because then they can do things differently. And most people do, by the way, most people don't want to be like their parents. I mean, we we try to do the opposite. So my, my parents, for example, I, I grew up in a secure attachment, yay for me. Um, but I was three or four kids. My my household was busy. They were busy and there was a lot going on. And so when it came to college time, you know, I really only looked at one or two colleges and that, you know, with going back, I wish they could have done that differently with me. I, I wouldn't have chosen where I went to school, although I had wonderful experience and met great people, but it wasn't the perfect fit for me. And I think you know, I could have gone maybe in a different direction than I did for whatever reason about certain certain things. But I wish I went, looked at more schools. So what did I do with my own daughter? We made sure we saw every school on every campus in this country. It seems. Right. I mean, we looked at hundreds, which became super, super fun. And it was one of our, you know, we still laugh about it today. She's in college. She's a junior. We still go looking at schools. If we're in the area of a college, we go on a college tour. It's just oh, our thing. Funny. But, you know, we try, a lot of us do do things, what we think we, we didn't get in our own childhood, we try right. to make up for it as a parent. And and I like what you said too, like, uh, to me, it's so important too, that we do the best we can in the situation that we're in at the time, right? right? And, and that right. also means is when you're ready to do the work is to take responsibility 
for things, right? So it's not like, well, that's what happened to me. Now I'm a victim. It's that's what happened to me. And now I'm going to empower myself to take responsibility. And and I talk a lot about that too, because even in in my own house, like when I was going through Perry and even once I was, I was very aware of it. And even, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be now it's like, listen, I lose my patience. I get annoyed super easily. And I didn't have patience to begin with, let alone now that I'm in menopause. Like, so Mm -hmm. I get, you know, very short with my husband at times and, it's a, it's a matter of afterwards. I'm like, okay, I feel bad. I'm like, sorry, honey. You know, like I, I, I kind of lost it a little bit too quickly there or like having that communication and taking ownership. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's understanding once we, we do that work as we're going and getting, you know, hopefully we do that work. And that's part of what we yeah. talk about a lot is yes. you know, doing the work and, and taking that responsibility that you're able to see things in a different light, right? We're always evolving. Right. We're always, always, know, we're, we're evolving beings, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So. Yes, that's that's an important part. Okay, so let's shift over now to how you work with your with your patients. So you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned supplement, you mentioned diet. Hello, these are all my lane. Mm -hmm. I like that. And yes, I know, too. So I love that. Um, So what are some of the ways that you you kind of mentioned them? But like, let's let's dive Mm -hmm. deep a little bit deeper into some of them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've always been into health and fitness my whole life. I grew up playing sports and I remember reading my first vitamin book. Okay. We didn't have the internet back then, you know, when I was a kid. Um, so buying my first vitamin book, I think in college and going through every vitamin and making sure like that I was matching, you know, my food to my proper nutrition and and all of this, it's just something that has always really, really intrigued me. Um, and so that's the lens of how I've always seen my clients. So I've been in private practice for over 25 years now. So talking about proper nutrition is so important. And as you know, and it affects mental health, it affects our brains. So which is going to affect our mental health, it affects how we sleep, which is going to affect our mental health. So I've always been a big, you know, a pusher proponent of, you know, educating and helping people understand how what they eat absolutely affects their mood. And if their food is affected, as we said earlier, everything is affected, every relationship that you have. So, uh, you know, talking about that now, I'm not a nutritionist and I'm not their nutritionist. So if they want to learn more about that, you know, it's up to them to, to seek this out, but I'm definitely going to give them the basics about, you know, about nutrition and about protein and about, you know, fiber, especially women at this time of of time of life, but so I'll give them the basics. Um, I like exercise. I've been involved in exercises for as long as I know. I, I, and it's so good for mental health. Obviously it's so good for physical health. There's just, there's no disadvantage of, to exercising. You know, I guess there are some people out there that truly don't like it, but again, habits can be changed. And, and, and so, we can become adaptable. So I talk about exercise, even if it's just walking, walking the dog, whatever they can do. Movement, yeah. Movement, absolutely. So supplementation, um, there's four basic supplements that I have always recommended to people. And so now, and that is magnesium to help sleep and help calm the body. That is omega-3, high doses of good quality omega-3, which is so good for our brains. Again, our brains are going to affect our moods. Um, vitamin D3, which is, is so vital for um, for mental health and physical health and immune, immune systems. Yeah. And it really... Um, you know, it discourages me how doctors are still, I have a patient just last week who 
we were talking about a lot of, we were talking about vitamins and, and supplementation and deficiencies. And I always like to see my patients' labs and I encourage them to go get the blood work. I want to see the labs. I want to concur Good. with your doctor. I love it. And she didn't even have her vitamin D tested. I could not believe that this was not, how is this at this point in life, not routine for every doctor to check vitamin D. And so I had this patient go back totally and check agree. their vitamin D. You know what it was? Oh, I'm sure deficient. <gasps> okay, so you have to give context of what that means though. What is 19? Okay, so vitamin D is on a scale from zero to a hundred. The lower you are, the more deficient you are. I, I mean, I like to see, I don't know where your numbers are, but I just got mine tested. It was 63. I'm very proud of that number. I want it to be high, high yeah. because that's going to affect my immune system. That's going to affect my energy. That's going to affect my mood. And so I think deficient is around 30, 40. That's is crazy. That, 19 is just like so 19, like, literally wow. the lowest I've yeah. ever seen it. No wonder yeah. why this person was dragging and couldn't even stay awake and just yeah. felt so down and depressed and just off, off. Yeah, that's that's really low. And yeah, and by the yeah. way, you know, interesting about vitamin D. So, you know, there's different experts that have different optimal ranges. You hear 50 to 70, you hear 70 uh -huh. to 90. So, like you want to you want to get it up. So that 63 number is like beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. The, yeah. What's interesting, and I'll tell you a quick story. And, and by the way, vitamin D, not only for us women in this phase of yes. life, but men too. So my husband, and mm -hmm. for those of you who've been listening to my podcast for a while, you might've heard this story is he last year, he was, his moods were really off. My husband's really chill. Like he's like, I'm total type A. He's total type, like, you know, F like, he's just like, <laughs> relax. He's chill. But his like moods were like, so off, like, so not what it normally was. He was yeah. exhausted. He, he wasn't yeah. himself. And I'm like, go to the doctor, go get yourself tested, go get your hormones. Maybe you're going through andropause. Like yeah. all these things were going through my mind. And I'm like, you know, and I'm always telling women, go get certain tests done, including the vitamin D. Uh -huh. So he went and got everything tested and it came back that he was also very deficient in vitamin D. Yeah. He started yeah. taking it within days, days, Jennifer. Days. He was days. feeling like himself. I was like, oh my God, there you are. Like it was yep. within days. His mood was better. His, he had more energy. It is so uh -huh. important. Now, the thing is, it's not standard, which is, which, you know, I agree with you. Like it has to be. Yep. So ladies, yep. absolutely. Thyroid, vitamin D, B12, yep. you know, your yep. ferritin. These are standards you yep. want to ask your doctor. Now, some of them yes. you have, you have to pay. Like I know we have to pay for vitamin D. I live yep, in Canada. Too. So, okay, yep. so in the U S too. So you have to mm -hmm. pay, but it's, I, it's, I think it's 30 or $50. Like it's mm -hmm. not like hundreds, mm -hmm. but if you mm -hmm. can at least once a year, like at least, yeah, totally agree I with agree. you, Jennifer. It is so yeah. important for so many different things, including like immunity that, yep. and you know, mood, sleep, all of that you mentioned. So that's yes. great. And, and if yeah. you're taking vitamin D, please take it with vitamin K2, MK7 that's to help usher it into the bones, ladies. So that's really yes. important too. Absolutely. Yes. And yep. then your last one, what was your last supplement? Um, probiotic. So mm -hmm. we now know that gut health is so important, right? And it affects both physical health and mental health. Yeah. Um, 90% of our serotonin we have now learned is in our okay. gut, not in our brain. So all these people that have been on antidepressants, <laughs> My little gut prop. <laughs> I know yes, I've seen that before. Go. I love that. I've, I've seen you do that before. It's great. All your little props. Um, yeah. So, you know, people that are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds all these years, hoping to hit the serotonin in their brain, if their guts are unhealthy, it's, it's not going to do the trick. I mean, we need to take care of all of it. So again, I mean, we, we need to, 
we need to nourish ourselves with proper food so that the probiotic is going to work properly and to get our guts under control and in better health. But, um, but yeah, and then probiotic is my fourth. Yeah. So. And I, I love probiotics too. So and yeah. just to add a little bit to what you're saying is that our gut and our brain are connected mm -hmm. through something called the two-way highway. For those of you who are listening and may not be familiar, it's called the vagus nerve. And that two-way highway is really, so when our gut is unhappy, our brain is unhappy and yes. vice versa, right? And our gut is happy, our brain is happy and vice versa. So, you know, it's yeah. really important that you nourish that gut health. And, and just to mm -hmm. add to that as well is you could get probiotics from food. So for those of you mm -hmm. who can tolerate fermented foods like kimchi and mm -hmm. sauerkraut and pickles. Again, mm -hmm. you want the live versions. Um, yes. Anything fermented can help that helps with populating those probiotics. Really important. And then you can also eat soluble fiber. So things like prebiotics, for example, mm -hmm. like um, garlic and Jerusalem artichokes and onions and asparagus and carrots with the peels on and jicama. All of these mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. prebiotic fibers that feed the good bacteria in your gut. So I am a massive fan of probiotics as well. And if you want that therapeutic dose, of course, you can take a probiotic supplement. Yes. Um, there are a lot of great brands out there that really just, their, their specialty is probiotics. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you want a prebiotic fiber, obviously eat your fiber, like your 25 mm -hmm. to 35 grams. But we have our Fiber Us, which is sitting right behind me. For those of you who are watching us yeah. on YouTube, um, we've got our Fiber Us, which is a prebiotic fiber. So I'm 100% yeah, on board with everything you just said. You know, obviously mm -hmm. we have our magnesium, we have our omega-3 and love it. we have our prebiotic, but um, I definitely agree. <laughs> and, and hope, oh, I love that. Thank you. Um, she, for those of you who are, are listening on our podcast, she's showing our magnesium that uh, she has our amorphous magnesium. So first of all, thank you love for it. that. I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you. I mean, to find a good supplement is, um, or a good line of supplements, you have a whole bunch of things that I recommend to people. And so, yeah, it's, it's so, and that's really important too, that we have to educate and coach people on it. I don't want you going to Walmart or CVS or Target to buy your supplements. I want you to buy a really good, high quality, you know, brand of supplements where what they say is on the front of the bottle mm. is actually in the capsule and it's good quality. And it's, you're, you know, it's an investment. It's, it, it costs money. It's expensive to, to supplement as, as much as, you know, I want you to. So I don't want you to waste your money. I want you to have a good brand and I want it to be really good quality. Thank you. And yeah. we're third-party tested and I'm actually going to do a yeah. podcast that's coming up about supplements and like what you oh, just said ahead. that there are certain things that they say that aren't in there. Yeah. So I'm going to be working. We partnered with a third-party lab that does all of our testing. So that's uh -huh. going to be a very right. interesting podcast that's going to come up in the very- I love future. it. I love yeah, it. I'm very excited. You know, and then some some women in perimenopause and menopause, as you know, need more supplementation, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's B12 or, and this is something I like to do with my women in perimenopause and menopause too, is recommend that they do um, a uh, micronutrient test, you know, every, maybe once every couple years, at least, you I know, to that. know exactly. Yes. And I love to do this because I love to see the numbers and, um, and I love supplements. So I, I want to be my best self all as, as often as I can, right. All the time. And so, as you know, you know, that's just a beautiful printout. It's, it's, it's blood work that then comes back and lets you know exactly the, the vitamins, the minerals, nutrients that you are deficient in. And if you need extra supplementation, it's really important to know that and to get it from your food if you can. And if you can't, then you supplement. And then sometimes people are making the mistake where they think they just need B12. 
So they start taking B12 and guess what? You know, now they're toxic in levels of B12 because they never stopped taking the supplement. Doctors aren't talking about this stuff. They're just pushing meds on them because they don't feel well when it could just be vitamin D like your husband or B12 Mm. or something so easy that they could, they could understand by getting their mic, uh, their micronutrient tests done. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I'm a big fan Mm -hmm. of that too. So we talked about supplements. We talked about food. We talked about movement and exercise. Is there anything else that you, well, then the HRT. So this is the fun part. The women that come through my door before HRT and I educate and coach them about hormone replacement therapy and the transformation to after it's just like, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. And again, doctors aren't always talking about it with these women, which is so, so sad. Yeah. So making sure that you speak to a hormone therapist, a specialist that understands hormone therapy, right? A provider, a doctor that understands it. Um, I'm going to put a link below to a resource that you can go. So there's the menopause.org one, and then there's also the wake her up community. So Marcella Hill has a whole list of practitioners as well that um, are hormone hormone specialists. So, and I think that's an important thing because um, right. Some doctors don't know, right? So you want to go to right. somebody that actually knows what they're and doing. And then the, the functional medicine doctor website too, I think might be yeah. a good one. You know, the yeah. functional medicine, they're, they're, they tend to, to, to know more about this and understand the, the latest research on HRT and to be able to prescribe it. So that's really important as well. And again, most people don't know what a functional doctor is. So that's really important to get the word out too to my that patients. Is. Jennifer Spring, my business name is Coastal Counseling in Groton, Connecticut. I do have a YouTube channel at Jennifer Spring that I just launched over the summer as a resource mainly for the clients that I work with, but it is a public channel. So I do talk about a lot of the, you know, um, attachment theory and, and languages of love and all of the things that I talk about in session. It's kind of a reference for my clients to go back to and review some of the information that we covered in the session. Um, I do think I have a couple, I have an episode on grief and mindset and strategies for anxiety. And so you can check out my channel. Yep. Yep. Amazing. And then we'll put a link below to how they can contact you if they want to get, that'd be perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for doing this. Yes, thank you for taking the time for me. I really appreciate you and everything you do. So you're such a game changer and a pioneer in this whole field. So I appreciate you very much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jennifer. I had a lot of mental health issues myself, even before going into perimenopause and menopause, but especially when I was in perimenopause. So we'll talk more about it on future podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's interview, please share it because the more you share shows you care and please leave a review. I would be so grateful because I love hearing what you have to say about our podcast, Menopause Reimagined. Thanks for spending the last hour and a bit with me. I appreciate you and I'll see you at the next interview. 